Okay, so here's the story. Uh, last service, I taught on a message. Uh, it was a prophecy update. When you see these things, uh, where you can know we are near, when, and I brought up six different things, uh, when they call good evil and evil good, that's out of Isaiah chapter 5. Uh, second point was when churches turn from truth to deception, which we are there. A third point I brought up, when global identification is required to participate in everyday life, you can know we are near. You know that the, uh, uh, you can know you're a redneck when? This kind of like, you can know you're near when, this is what these are. Uh, you can know you're near when families turn against one another. All these are based on the Bible. Uh, you can know you're near when people group turns against people group. And the last one I brought up, uh, you know you're near when the Jews in Jerusalem are labeled as uh, the problem for the world. So if you weren't able to catch that, you can catch it. Uh, it's online at Hope for Our Times, uh, Hope for Our Times YouTube and also on 412 Church YouTube. It's online on both of those. And uh, something else I want to bring up before I introduce our guests uh, today is that we have a prophecy conference that's coming up in Huntington Beach. Uh, just another week and a half away. I never mentioned it here. I mentioned it all over the internet and it did sell out. But people have been asking me, are you going to do a pay-per-view? Uh, I've, I've been asked from people all over the world, they'll gladly pay for it. So we said, sure. So we're gonna do it for $1,000. You can do a pay, just kidding, <laughs> just kidding. The problem is it's YouTube censorship. So how do we avoid that? Uh, so we are able to partner with his channel. And uh, so for anybody that's watching on this online right now or anybody in here, if you do want to do pay-per-view, it'll be available later today at hopeforourtimes.com. And the price is $20 for the whole thing. It's all day Friday, all day Saturday, it's everything. So uh, we, and, and I'm getting literally people from all over the world that ask how can they uh, view they can't fly here to the United States and so forth. So there you guys know. And everybody out there in the world also knows, and we figured 20 bucks was pretty inexpensive and helps cover our costs for everything that we got going on. So there you have it. Okay, so you ready? Okay, so I am going to, you guys know me, right? All right, so this is, I, I need one more announcement. This is for everybody watching online. Um, this is going to post at four o'clock today. In place of my live, it's going to be a premiere at 4 o'clock today on uh, HopeForOurTimes.com, on YouTube, on Rumble. And uh, so I want everyone to know that. So all of you who are watching right now, uh, that's what's going on. This is being recorded a few hours earlier here on the West Coast uh, in my home church, 412 Church in San Jacinto, California. So I want to welcome everybody watching online, wherever you are in the world. It's a blessing to have you here with us but we have a very special time. That's why this is not live. It's a few hours in advance. And uh, with that, our guest today is uh, Dr. Hillel Newman. I'm gonna read this to you, then I'm gonna have him come up. He's the Council General of Israel to the Pacific Southwest. Dr. Hillel Newman assumed the post of Council General of Israel in July of 2019, where he serves as the Senior Representative of the State of Israel to the Pacific Southwest during his 20-year Diplomatic Service Consul General Newman accumulated vast experience in policy formulation and decision-making at the highest levels of Israel's foreign policy establishment. He has served in several influential and critical positions, including policy advisor to three foreign ministers of Israel and ambassador of Israel to Tajikistan and Uzbekistan. Before he joined the diplomatic service, he attained a PhD in Jewish history and served as a professor of Jewish history, teaching graduate courses at Bar-Ilan University and Boston University. He has authored and published a book on Jewish sectarianism during the Hellenistic and Roman period uh, for the past five years. He's also served as a key lecturer on Judaism in the NATO Defense College. Uh, most recently, Consul General Newman served in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs as both Special and Policy Advisor to the Director General uh, and the, as Director of the World Jewish Affairs Department. He has been intimately involved in the most current and pressing issues confronting global Jewry, 
Uh, previously, Consul General Newman served also in the strategic division of the ministry, playing a key role in coordinating efforts related to strategic threats facing the state of Israel. As an ambassador, as ambassador to the republics of Uzbekistan and Tajikistan, both Muslim countries, he promoted political, business, and security ties with these countries. He also initiated several projects and agreements in the fields of medicine, education, agriculture, and humanitarian aid. Consul General Newman first became familiar with the United States while serving as Deputy Consul General in Boston to the New England region gen, uh, between 2001 and 2005. He engaged in diverse public diplomacy efforts, conducted briefings on political and security issues, and took a special interest in building interfaith and interethnic relations. Wow! That's a lot different than me. Will you please give a very warm 412 Church welcome to Dr. Hillel Newman. Wonderful to see you. Wonderful to have you with us again. Please have a seat. Thank you. It is my deep appreciation for inviting me and meeting such a wonderful audience. Thank you. And, and uh, I, I want to say one other thing. See how nicely he is dressed? <laughs> Did your wife help you? No, I chose what to wear myself. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Please have a seat. Sure. So, for the record, I have had the privilege of getting to know uh, Dr. Newman over the past. Um, uh, we, we've had, I think, four times we've had different dialogue, uh, once virtual, then at Pastor Tim's church, and then we've done some other things. You're here today. We even got to have dinner together, which was such a blessing to me. But this is a real treat. There's a lot that is going on. Um, I'd like to read one Bible passage first off, if you don't mind. Um, and, uh, and this is from Zechariah, how we would say in American English. chapter. How do you say Echolrim Zechariah? Zechariah. Zechariah. Yeah. Was I close? Zechariah. Very close. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, uh, first of all, Zechariah chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel, thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundations of the earth and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples or a cup of trembling to all the surrounding peoples. When they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all the peoples, all who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all the nations of the earth are gathered against her. And then it goes on to describe in that passage how in that day, Israel, the men of Israel will be like fighters like in the time of David, and how they're going to rise up and be victorious against all those who are coming against her. Um, I find all of this so fascinating. Um, as you know, I, I do my best. I study a lot about Israel, and uh, you've studied a lot more, and I'm not going to pretend to know things that, uh, that, uh, that I don't, but it really is a, a blessing having you here. So a lot is going on in Israel. Can I right respond now. to oh. that? No. Yeah, yes. No, please do. Actually, well, that's what I meant to say. Listen, this is not scripted, just for the record. Okay. Nothing is scripted. Um, don't worry, I won't contradict anything uh, that's written in Zechariah, but in reinforce it. And I just like my most prioritized verse from Zechariah, from Zechariah, is the verse which says that one day, the children of Israel will play in the streets of Jerusalem. He's cutting out. Oh boy! Here, okay. I'm going to give. I'm going to switch mics. All right. I'm going I'm to give you my mic, and I'll hold this. Okay. Okay. I'm going to make it really. I nice can thing. hold it. No, 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 I don't want you. To. You're my guest. You're my guest. Right? Do you mind wearing this mic? No problem. 
You okay? I'm fine. Would you rather hold it? <laughs> I don't All mind. right. I don't mind, really. <laughs> you guys are thinking, I know what you guys are thinking. You're thinking, you've got to be kidding me. You have Dr. Newman here and you're doing this. You guys know me. Is this working? Okay. Why? The, the verse that I love from Zechariah is the verse which says that one day the children of Israel will play in the streets of Jerusalem and the elderly will sit in the streets of Jerusalem in tranquility and peace. That was, verse was written, prophetized by Zechariah when the people of Israel were in exile. One of the darkest periods of the people of Israel. And today we see that that prophecy has come true. The children of Israel can play on the streets of, of Jerusalem and the elderly can sit in the streets of Jerusalem in peace and tranquility, as long as they're not attacked by the Hamas. But, <laughs> Which we will get to. <laughs> we'll get to that, I'm sure. But most of the time, they do sit in peace and tranquility. And we see the prophecies coming true in our time. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much. In fact, I have told guests that go with me to Israel. Take this off. Okay. Okay, sorry about that. No problem. Um, with, with my kids, when they were really young and went to Jerusalem, I said, look, I've never felt safer. I feel like my kids could disappear all day long in Jerusalem, and they'd be returned to me. Uh, you know, there's pluses and minuses there. But, uh, <laughs> but in, all, in, all, in all seriousness, you felt totally safe. Like here, I'm afraid to let my kids go out into the front yard. There, you felt so safe. And walking through the old city of Jerusalem, you'd, uh, there's all these kids running around, and you, it, it really is uh, what you just described, except for when we have these issues, the Balagon Lake recently. But it really is a remarkable thing to see that taking place in Israel. Yes. Uh, the, uh, anyone can walk the streets of Jerusalem and see the... Um, coexistence of so many different groups, denominations of religions um, within the very small area of the old city of Jerusalem, you have four quarters, right? You have the Jewish quarter, the Christian quarter, Muslim quarter, and the Armenian quarter. Each quarter has its own churches, its own mosques, its own uh, worship places. And everyone worships with total freedom of religion Many sensitivities regarding, I mean, you won't believe what kind of arguments there are between different organizations. And Israel maintains this situation, the status quo, ensuring and preserving freedom of worship and religion of every single denomination. This did not exist before Israel had the privilege of retaking uh, these areas. Beforehand, there was no freedom of worship. No, not at all. I can think back to the time of Nehemiah when you had the enemies that were trying to, that were attacking the Jews as they had returned from the Babylonian captivity, but they really didn't have a freedom of worship there until Nehemiah came and built that wall. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you go through the entire um, centuries, you know, the land of Israel, the Holy Land, uh, well, of course, we had the first kingdom as written in the Bible and the second kingdom, King David, I'm sure we all remember the name, where we had the first temple and the second temple in Jerusalem, where there was freedom of worship and freedom of all um, uh, liberty for all individuals. But the moment the state of Israel or the sovereignty of Israel was taken away and was taken away first by the Babylonians and then later by the Romans, and the people of Israel were dispersed, and we had centuries of desolate land and no freedom for the people. And only with our return, when we managed to return and reestablish the state of Israel, the sovereignty of the people of Israel in the land of Israel, the Holy Land, we then again have freedom of worship and freedom of every individual. A Amen. I, I have to ask you this question. Because when I look at, you look at Israel's history, let's just say since Theodore Herzl, um, and you, at the late 1800s and the Zionist movement, people would call me, I'd be identified as a Christian Zionist. Um, and so I understand the right biblically of the Jews to have a homeland. So you look at Israel, they come back, and there's been war after war after war against Israel. Israel never started a war with any of its neighbors, and yet, 
with all of that, Israel still stands strong. And when I look at Zechariah chapter 12, and then I look at Amos, for example, Amos chapter 9 says Israel will never be uprooted again. I believe that literally. I take it literally. But I see God's hand in it. I know God has made Israel strong. The Bible says, God says I'm going to do that. Do you see, as an Orthodox Jew, do you see God's hand in this? Of course. Um, I mean, if this is not a miracle, and this is not divine guidance, then what is? Is a return? There's no such story. The return of the people of Israel after 3,000 years of exile, the return to their ancient homeland, and the renewal of sovereignty with the ancient biblical language, Hebrew. Every child in Israel now speaks the biblical language and could read the Bible in the original text. It's amazing. If that's not a miracle, then what is? We don't have another precedent, another example of a nation returning after so many years, going through so many different types of persecution and returning to their ancient homeland and establishing their sovereignty. So this is, if this is not divine providence, then what is? It's amazing. I'll say more than that. You mentioned um, the wars that were uh, forced upon Israel. Of course, Israel, since its reestablishment, in, when we managed to reestablish sovereignty in 1948, we extended our hand in friendship and peace to the entire global community, including the Arab and Muslim states. We recognize every Arab and Muslim state. We don't have any problem with any Arab or Muslim state, even Iran, which is a declared enemy of Israel from their side. The problem has always been their recognition of Israel. Since in 1948, when Israel was reestablished, they launched a war against Israel to annihilate the state of Israel. And the fact that we not only survived, but we prosper, is that not a miracle? Is not, uh, that not the living prophecy coming true with Israel was outnumbered with, by hundreds of thousands? I won't even go into the number of tanks and, and aircraft. And yet Israel not only prevailed, survived, but prospers. And now many of these Arab countries that refuse to recognize Israel are now seeking the closeness of Israel. We've managed to normalize our relations with United Arab Emirates and Bahrain and Morocco and Sudan, countries that have come forward after decades of refusing to recognize the existence of the state mm -hmm. of Israel. So we see it, we see the divine providence with us, yes. That is, that's fantastic. Thank but, you. Sorry, I'll just answer oh, one thing yes, though. Yes, you please. asked about whether we can be sure for all times that we are safe and secure. And I, here I will beg to differ in our aspect that as an Orthodox Jew, we don't take anything for granted. We have seen the first temple destroyed, we have seen the second temple destroyed. And we take into consideration that it can be that the state that we see in front of our eyes will be destroyed once again. And therefore we believe that we must have a strong IDF to protect and defend the state of Israel. We don't rely on miracles. Our belief is, uh, through which is given to us through the sages of Judaism, is that we must do the greatest effort, and then the blessing will come to us. Mm -hmm. So we must put in the effort. We must have a strong IDF. We must have the ability to defend ourselves. We must build, build an economy. And with that, the blessing will come. Yeah. I would agree with you. Actually, because even Zechariah, where God says, I will raise up uh, the men of that time. They will be strong like in the time of David. And, and throughout the Old Testament, you see God strengthening them uh, and, and being wise, the wisdom he has given Israel. So I believe it's God working through the people to rise up because they're our neighbors. So I, I don't think I would disagree with you. I wouldn't say I would just sit back and wait for God to do a miracle. I think that's testing God and uh, not a wise thing to do. But biblically, I think it's very clear, apart from one battle, it all the rest of it's God raising up a very strong IDF. I believe I could even find that the Israeli Defense Force in the Bible too in the Old Testament. It's remarkable. So uh, yeah, I don't think I would disagree with you on, on that part. But we, we don't take anything for granted. So we, we, we see all the time that we must build our credit. It's the, the responsibility is also on our shoulders 
to build our credit so that the state of Israel and the sovereignty of the people of Israel remains for all times. Amen. It can go away. Yeah. And therefore, we must maintain our credit in order to maintain our yeah. sovereignty. Well, we're going to talk about the threats of, go ahead. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about the threats in just a minute. Go away. None of this was on any of the questions. It just came up. You all know how I get sometimes, right? I'm going to show you two maps because both of these maps to me really speak uh, uh, volumes. Uh, Chris, can you pull up the first map? Uh, this one I showed first service, if the Arab nations in green. There you go. I mean, I look at that. You've probably seen that same map many a times. And you look at that and you go, that makes no sense. Little tiny Israel and the threats the world and the things the UN says and these different, the, the rhetoric that's out there and Israel is so small and you look at it, it's just remarkable. And then there's this other map. Can you show the other map? Look at that. So that's the land that I believe God promised Israel that they would have. Yet all they really have is just that little tiny speck. I believe what's in that map is going to be fulfilled. Someday, I don't know when but I believe it's going to happen. I have friends that do what I do that believe uh, Israel, the IDF is going to continue to expand. Others believe it's just going to be a miracle. God's going to do it. But either way, I don't know how God's going to do it, but I believe it's going to happen. Do you believe that that will happen? Well, we don't have any ambitions to go out and conquer territory. We'll be very happy if we can live in peace and, and tranquility in the borders that we have. We're not looking to conquer territory or take over other people's lands. That is not of our interest, even though it is the biblical homeland. You know, the, the, the country that we have today is entirely the biblical homeland. Even more, as you show on the map. And uh, if we go into the political background, we were promised you know, during the mandate, the British mandate, we, was, we were supposed to receive much more land. And then it was cut off. Jordan was created in 1922. And the idea was that Jordan would be uh, the Arab state, like Palestine, what was supposed to be the Palestinian state. So we created Jordan. And immediately after Jordan was created, the Hashemite kingdom was set up. And then they started demanding another state, what we call what is known today in the news as the Palestinian state. Right? There never was a Palestinian entity in the, in the land of Israel. There never was a Palestinian state. So now they wish to set up an additional state. And we look at the large map, the map we saw before, and you see how small Israel is compared to this wide area of the Middle East where you have 22 Arab states with vast territories and rich natural resources, which we don't have. We build ourselves on innovation. And yet they try to draw more territory away. And this is the ancient homeland of the people of Israel, the land of Israel, the, the Holy Land. But we are prepared. We are prepared for peace, for true peace, to give up on territory, even though it is our ancient homeland. The problem is we need a genuine partner for peace. Mm -hmm. But that is our wish, peace and tranquility. That's yeah. all. If you, you, you've quoted something many times. I think it was Golda Meir about laying down our, if we want peace. How's that quote go? Yeah. Golda Meir was one of our first prime ministers. Uh, we're one of the first countries, I think, to have a female prime minister. That just shows the strength of uh, democracy and, and liberty in Israel. Um, but she was the one that, that phrased the statement, which is very powerful. She said that if the people of Israel would lay down their arms, there would be no Israel. But if the enemies of Israel and the Palestinians would lay down their arms, there would be peace. Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely true. Um, I have another question before I get to these. You, you've mentioned a lot. And I have friends that ask me and other people just online, what book do you recommend that has the history of Israel? You can go back to biblical history, but then fast forwarding, really going from the time of the, the Romans up until where we are today, the different things that Israel and the Jews have gone through. Can you think of a book? I compile things on my own. Look, there are many books that have been written about the history. The question is what one is more interested in. With the ancient history, I mean, I would start off with the Bible. <laughs> we just need to read the Bible to know the story Amen. of the people of Israel, correct? Amen. So we start off with the Bible. Uh, if we want more political history, um, I would read, for instance, there's a book by Alan Dershowitz called The Case for Israel. Mm -hmm. 
which talks about the political aspects of the state of Israel. For those who want to go into that, if you want more historical, then I mean, there are many historical books uh, that I can recommend. Thank you. And I'll get a list from you later. <laughs> Thank you very much. So it's Alan Dershowitz on the one book. Okay, so you ready? Yes. Okay, elections in Israel. How is it? Well, as we speak right now in Israel, they are setting up the new government. Today, now, as we speak, uh, they are installing the new government in Israel, which will be a government which is made up of a wide coalition of eight different parties. What I should mention is that the system in Israel is very different to the system in the United States. In the United States, it's two major parties competing with each other, and whoever gets the majority just about wins all, right? Takes over the White House, takes over the Congress, whatever it is. In Israel, it's a different system. It's called a coalition parliamentary system, which means that people run in different parties, and we have several dozen of parties that have run for election. And then the one becomes prime minister, whoever managed to get a majority in the parliament together. To get a majority, you need 61 out of 120. 120 seats in the Knesset, in the parliament, you need 61 coming together. That means you need a few parties coming together to make a coalition and supporting one person, and then that person is the prime minister. So we have a reality where in the past, there were two main parties with peripheral parties running, and each big party had about 30, 40 seats in the parliament, so it was quite easy to make a coalition and they would easily make a coalition of 61. What has changed in the system is that there's been fragmentation of parties. We have many, many small parties, and today a government is being set up in Israel with a prime minister whose name is Bennett, right? I'm sure many of you have perhaps never heard of him before. And he only, he rules a very small party of seven members of parliament. And yet he will become prime minister. So, first of all, this shows the strength, again, of the democracy and the diversity in Israel. You can have more than a dozen parties representing just about every single view, from far left to far right. There's a tremendous tolerance in Israel for all views. Can't imagine such a situation in another Middle Eastern country. You have parties which are for Netanyahu and parties which are against Netanyahu. Can you imagine a reality like that in Syria, or in Lebanon, or in Iraq? No, right, far to find. So that's the reality of Israel. Tremendous tolerance for large diversity of views. And for the first time, what is actually new in this election today is that after 12 years of Netanyahu being prime minister, they've managed to make a coalition of eight parties coming together against Netanyahu, they formed a 61 majority, which is very, very narrow, relying on an Arab party. It was the first time that an Arab party will join the coalition and be part of the government of Israel. That just shows also the where we're moving forward in the integration of the Israeli Arabs in Israeli society. And that's how we're making a new government today. And it's a mix of left and right, a big diversity of views coming together. Uh, it's it's really remarkable to think. I think uh, Naftali Bennett has this like five percent of the popular vote, I guess you would call it. But yet he'll become the prime minister with five percent. That's yes. that's. There are some who say it's at a bad circumstances that you have such a person, but it's a coalition. So the coalition together has sixty-one seats, uh, but his party itself has only seven members of parliament and one actually left. Uh, his party or didn't support the government for different reasons if we want to go into it. So he actually represents six members of parliament, which is a very small number. Yeah, it's a very small number. We'll go into it if we have time. But since we're only on question number one, <laughs> I'm thinking I better get moving a little bit faster. Okay, the recent attack uh, by Hamas, the wave of violence and its ramifications. By the way, I need to take, make a note here. Uh, for anybody who's visiting here and didn't get the note last week, you might, or maybe you're here for the first time, you might wonder, well, is this what they do every week at this church? Uh, no, but this is, so we had regular uh, service, first service, and this is a little bit different today because we had this opportunity, uh, once in a lifetime opportunity to have 
uh, Consul General here, Dr. Hillel Newman. So that's why if you're visiting here, you didn't know, that's what's happening. And uh, so just so you understand. Okay, so with Hamas and the recent uh, attacks and its ramifications, um, as I look at that, um, you have uh, the successes and failures of both sides. Can you fill us in a little bit on that? Sure. Uh, in response to what you said earlier, I would like to thank you for the wonderful opportunity and invitation to be here on a Sunday with, with everyone. And I wish that all your prayers come true and that uh, you have good health for your families. Um, and I also express our deep appreciation for support of Israel. I'm sure that you all support this, this state of Israel, the Holy Land. And I, I extend our deep appreciation on behalf of the state of Israel for your support. Amen. Thank you. Um, Hamas. Uh, as we said before, when Israel was reestablished, we extended our hand in friendship and peace to the entire global community, and that included the Arab and Muslim world. The Arab and Muslim world responded with total rejection, and they had what was called the Convention of the Arab League, in which they decided the three no's, no recognition of Israel, no peace with Israel, no negotiations with Israel. And that's how we went on for a few decades until we at last made peace with Egypt and Jordan. And only recently we've expanded it to another five additional countries. So the, the direction is positive, but still the majority of the Arab League countries do not recognize the existence of the State of Israel. And among them we have also far radical terrorist organizations like Hamas, Hezbollah. Hezbollah sits in Lebanon on our northern border, and the Hamas sits in the Gaza Strip on our southern border, both supported by Iran, financially and militarily. They refuse to recognize the existence of the State of Israel, and in their charter, it says that they will annihilate the State of Israel and kill all Jews. It's written in the charter for anyone who wants to read it. So we must understand what enemy we're dealing with. And that enemy for different internal rivalry issues with the Palestinian Authority decided to launch an attack against Israel. And this attack was on several fronts. It was terrorist attacks, it was riots on the Temple Mount, and it was also launching rockets from the Gaza Strip against the State of Israel. So we had a situation where more than five million civilians in Israel were under threat of a rocket falling on their house. They had 15 seconds to reach a bomb shelter. Imagine living in a situation where it can be day, it can be night, where all of a sudden an alarm goes off and you have to rush with your children to a bomb shelter in order to be safe. Some people didn't make it. And the rocket, if it falls on their uh, house, can kill them all. Mm -hmm. So Israel had to work in acting self-defense, and we did so. We're lucky that we have what's called the Iron Dome, which is an interceptor, and it intercepts most of the rockets mid-air, which is a, a United States and Israeli um, cooperation, which built and manufactured this, and this is now being deployed in the United States in order to save American lives in any situation of rockets being launched against the United States. Yeah. But that is what happened. We were under attack. Israel acted in self-defense. And our successes are great. We managed to diminish the stocks, the piles of rockets that they had. We managed to hit out at all the factories where they produced these rockets. And we managed to um, get at many of the terrorists themselves. Mm -hmm. But the problem is not over. Because all the time that the Hamas and the Hezbollah and such organizations are out there supported by the number one state's uh, sponsor of terrorism, Iran, and they continue to... Um, <sighs> work towards the annihilation of the state of Israel, we have to be wary, we have to be uh, aware of what's going on, we have to defend ourselves. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm looking at news this week and Iran is already resupplying or attempting to resupply Hamas and even give them more strategic weapons than they've had before, is that correct? Yes, Iran tries all the time and Israel also has to be wary and try to block shipments. Their shipments come either by boat 
and they tried to bring them to Damascus or Lebanon and then to smuggle it into the Gaza Strip. Uh, they also try to manufacture themselves. So, you know, Israel allows humanitarian aid into Gaza. And unfortunately, they abuse the humanitarian aid, which is brought in for building buildings in order to construct new lives for the people, the Palestinian people. The Hamas takes this concrete, and takes these items and builds underground tunnels and manufactures rockets. So instead of caring for the lives of the Palestinians, they, in, in fact, put their, the Palestinian people's lives in danger and attack Israel. Uh, you know, Israel relinquished the entire Gaza Strip over to the Palestinian Authority in 2005. Under this paradigm of what everyone spoke about, territories for peace. If only Israel will give territory, we'll have peace. So Israel gave territory. Israel set up the Palestinian Authority together with in the Oslo Accords. And then we relinquished the entire Gaza Strip over to the Palestinians. They could have built their own life. They could have built a Singapore, Hong Kong. They could have done whatever they want. Instead, they live in poverty. And they use the money, billions of dollars of aid that they've received from the European Union, from the United States, from others. Instead of building economic viability, they build underground tunnels and produce rockets. Yeah. So that's the type of enemy that we have who doesn't care for their own people. No, they do not. Um, and we'll get, I'm going to ask you another question about that in a minute when we get to the anti-Semitic things that are happening. But before we get there, I want to ask you about the Abraham Accords. And so we're watching this normalization agreements. How do you see that we have now of the Biden administration? Um, do we see changes in that or what, what do you see that going forward? Do you think it's a good thing, a bad thing? There's a lot there. Sure. The Abraham Accords is a wonderful development <clears throat> where we've established normalized relations with an additional five countries. And you know what made it happen? One, one very simple thing that UAE and Bahrain and Sudan and Morocco came forward and they said, we prepare to recognize Israel. The moment they did that, we had peace. We have no territorial dispute. We have no problem in recognizing them, as I said before. They just need to recognize us. They recognize us, we'll have peace. So that's what happened. And it's tremendously significant because it's going to be a warm peace. Uh, in contrast to the peace with Egypt and Jordan, which has remained very cold and hasn't really penetrated down to the, to the population. With UAE, it's going to be a very warm peace. I can tell you, I visited UAE. Uh, in 2019, together with our foreign minister, I was working with him, and I had the privilege of being, playing a personal part in, in this development of the relations. And we had high-level meetings. It was all confidential. We had many meetings, but they were all kept confidential until they felt that it's ready. The time is ready to announce the normalization. And in our meetings, we saw the warmth. We saw how they want the relationship with Israel. And their only concern was not with Israel or anything that Israel would do. They knew that Israel is an ally and not an enemy. Their concerns were from their fellow Islamic brothers who might hit out, who might uh, destroy their infra infrastructure, sorry, Iran that might attack, things like that. Those were their concerns. So we're very happy that they made the decision. They moved mm -hmm. forward on the Abraham Accords. Um, we are hoping that further countries will join. Uh, the Biden administration so far is upholding the accords and supporting them. And for that, we're uh, extremely appreciative. Of course, we must mention that it was under the Trump administration that this moved forward. And we must recognize that and, and express our appreciation for that. But I am confident that the Biden administration will also move forward on this. It does require policy issues mm -hmm. and does require that the Biden administration understands also that these three countries together with Israel understand the threat from Iran and that we cannot, um, we cannot com uh, compromise too much on our uh, forthcomingness towards Iran. Yeah. So that's part of the issue and I, I'm sure that the Biden administration understands yeah. this. I'm going to show you a couple of Instagram posts or Twitter posts uh, because they're, they're so telling about the different problems in the propaganda war 
that you have. It's both. It's not just a physical war. It's a propaganda war, too. Uh, Chris, can you pull up, um, uh, pull up the one first off with Michael Dixon? There's a terror tunnel built with Palestinian child labor has been found under a UN-run UNRWA school in Gaza. Let's unpack that kids are enslaved by Hamas to build their terror infrastructure, then used as human shields to protect human terrorists. Where's the condemnation? You don't have condemnation coming from the UN. Uh, you don't have the condemnation coming literally from much of the world at all over this. You don't have it on mainstream media in the United States of America. That's a propaganda war that I think is the, the biggest, I, th I say as being the biggest problem. And then here's this one. Uh, this, if you can pull the other one up with Stephen Israel, the Instagram post, Chris. Okay, this one says, uh, from Imam of Peace. I'm not sure who he is, but this is interesting. And this really speaks to a lot of what you just said. If Israelis take an inch of land from Mecca or Medina, I will be the first to oppose them. That's our land. But if they want their own land back, only a dishonest crook and a lying thief would deny them the right of return. Jerusalem is not ours, and it never was, period. Now, I'm reading some of these things that are coming out. They're very similar to that since the Abraham Accord. Um, but it's an interesting dynamic that is developing over in the Mideast with all of this. You have the propaganda war that's anti-Israel. And then I see tweets like this that come up from people that are Muslim. Now, I don't know if this is actually an imam that wrote this or if it's a fake account, but it is interesting. I'm seeing more things like this. Yes. You know, today in every battle, you have two fronts. You have the physical front, and then you have the propaganda or the public relations front, which is for the hearts and minds of the people. And Hamas and the Palestinian Authority radicals war um, wage this war on both fronts they attack physically with rockets and rocks and terrorist attacks which is the physical front but they also attack with lies and falsifications in the propaganda front so they spread falsifications and then we have to go and prove that it's incorrect we have a big problem that the media is biased the media <laughs> just a little bit <laughs> Uh, the media takes up these falsifications as if they're truths and spread them, although they're totally incorrect and untrue, right? For instance, they can say, if you were following the events in, uh, with the violence between uh, the Hamas and Israel, the attack by the Hamas, then some of the headlines were that, well, the violence was triggered by the fact that Israel is evicting Palestinians from their homes in Sheikh Jarrah. Totally false. The true behind it was, the truth is that there was a court ruling that made a decision on, a, on disputed homes where there were illegal Arab squatters in the homes and the Jews went to court. It wasn't the state of Israel, the state of Israel didn't evict them, it went through a court appeal and it reached the Supreme Court of Israel and the Supreme Court ruled that those homes belonged to the Jews and that the Arabs are illegal squatters and they must leave. And that was depicted in the media as if Israel is evicting Palestinians from their homes. Nothing further from the truth. So we have this war, which is a propaganda war, which we have to relate to at the same time. You mentioned UNRWA. UNRWA is the uh, relief organization which is giving relief, supposed to give relief to the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. The head of UNRWA came out, he was asked on TV about Israel's attacks in the Gaza Strip in retaliation, in self-defense. And he said that the attacks were precise and they attacked the operatives of the Hamas and the damage to the civilians was not as was depicted. And you know what happened? He was kicked out of his job. Wow. He no longer serves in his position. He was told by UNRWA and by the Palestinians that he must leave. Why? Because he spoke the truth. Wow. So we have a double battle all mm -hmm. the time. And uh, sometimes, you know, we build ourselves on credibility. We will never say something which is false. We might make a mistake in real time, but we will never say something deliberately to mislead people or deceive, never. 
And that's why we are always at a disadvantage because when there's something that happens in the news, we will check. We'll check the situation, we'll check the facts and come up when we know what happened, we'll tell you what happened. The Palestinians will immediately say, this child was injured by Israel, killed by Israel, whatever. Later on, we can find out that actually the child didn't die, that wasn't uh, affected by Israeli arms, but by Palestinian arms. Anything can be true. You know, in the 4,000, more than 4,000 rockets that were launched against Israel from the Gaza Strip, 20% fell on the Palestinians. Palestinian casualties from the rockets that were launched from Gaza. Do you hear that on the news? No. No. Don't hear it at all on the news. It's, it's so true. But it's a propaganda war. But that's one of the reasons why we do this. It's one of the reasons why this church is something that we do here at church is to bring out the truth biblically and present the facts that are actually out there because there's such a, a, an unbelievable spin uh, with the propaganda that is all over the Western media. I heard it said years ago that a, the, uh, uh, a lie will travel all the way around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes. <laughs> and that's kind of how it works. Okay. Unfortunately, it is true because, you know, if let's say there's a Palestinian child injured, God forbid, okay, we're, we're, we, we, are, we cry, we mourn when there's a Palestinian casualty while the Palestinians celebrate because any Palestinian casualty they know will be a propaganda, war, a propaganda uh, achievement for them. But if there's anyone wounded or a casualty, it takes a few days to understand exactly what happened. And we lose that time, yep. as you say. You do lose that time, but it's the truth. And this is something I wanted to challenge everybody that's going to watch this online or is watching online is to share this video with everybody you know. Just click share and share it because the, this needs to get out there. And listen, you guys go home. This will be at 4 o'clock today. Share it. Uh, just because the more we can get the truth out there, uh, I'd rather be on God's side in all of this than on the devil's side in all of this. Okay. I'm going to shift over to anti-Semitism. And then we're going to get to um, uh, some of the relationships between the U.S. and Israel, and then really what we can do also as Christians. Um, and, and so we don't have, oh my, we don't have a lot of time left. I didn't realize how long we've been talking. Sorry about that. Okay, well, anti-Semitism. I'm going to pull up two, just two short, two, two small uh, pictures. Uh, Chris, can you pull up the one with Bella Hadid? which you're well aware of her things lately. This is from Stand With Us, one of the uh, organizations I follow on Instagram. But Bella Hadid, how many of you know who recognize her name? Very famous uh, model or, or actress or something, very famous. Uh, Bella Hadid posted a photo of the 1939 Palestine football team, okay, who are all Jewish. Palestine was and is Israel. So people don't understand that. Mm -hmm. the, the, it, the, the Palestinian uh, Palestine Philharmonic, the Palestinian Post, which is now the Jerusalem Post, but it was Jewish. And you look at this, you go, it's kind of an error there. They were all Jewish. So the name Palestine came about through, was through Hadrian. Was that correct? Yes. Um, this is so true. Um, I mean, we can go into history for a long time, but we haven't well, got much time. Yeah, we don't have much so time. So I'll just say the terminology is misleading as well. Palestine was the name that the Romans, Hadrian gave to Jerusalem and Israel when they wanted to erase the Jewish recognition of Israel. You know, the Jews uh, mutinied against Rome and Rome came with all its force and destroyed the temple and exiled the majority of the people of Israel. And they wanted to erase Jewish recognition, Jewish name of the area. So they called it Palestine. Where did they take the name from? They took it from the Philistines. They were mentioned in the Bible. The Philistines from Phoenicia, during King David's time, tried to cross over and conquer uh, the land of Israel. And they were ousted. They did not succeed. They took the old name of the Philistines and gave it, coined it, that name to the area. So it's not even Arab population. It's Phoenician population that came as conquerors. 
The Palestinians, what we call today the Palestinians, they just adopted that name, anachronology as, as one would say. They just adopted that name in order to give themselves a historical connection to the land of Israel. But the name Palestine, when it was coined, was actually Jewish Israel, and it included the Jews who were there. And when Israel, the people of Israel started returning to Israel, at the time it was called Palestine, the majority were Jewish, so they were Palestinians. Golda Meir, again, we mentioned Golda Meir, she mm -hmm. said, I'm a Palestinian. I'm more Palestinian than an Arab Palestinian. Right? So, and as we said, the Jerusalem Post, which is a Jewish newspaper, was called the Palestine Post. Why? Because that was the name of the area. It was a geographical area coined originally by the Romans. It mm -hmm. had nothing to do with an Arab nation that lived there or didn't live there. Yeah. I find this interesting. I pointed this out to my church before and also our online viewers. But this is in a Christian Bible. The back of it, there's all maps. And I point out there's an error in pretty much all of your Bibles. Some of you remember this. So my, I have a problem with my Bible. Last night, my, I, my dog got my Bible. And so I need a new one. I got to get a new one. I didn't have time to get one today. It's, I'll be glad to buy you one. My dog... <laughs> I'm hoping my dog was trying to read it. <laughs> so it says Palestine in Christ's time. That name didn't exist until 100 years later. And you look at that and you go, you know, the, the, these lies are, are everywhere that are out there. And uh, so there you go. You do have an error in your Bible. You want to know what's going to happen now? Somebody's going to pull out what I just said, use that against me, and say, I just said your Bible's full of errors. No, your map in the back is an error. Um, okay, with anti-Semitism, Chris, can you pull up the picture? I think it's New York City. Just, uh, I think it was yesterday. Pro-Palestinian protesters chant Allah Akbar, torch Israeli flag in NYC demonstration. I think this was yesterday. Uh, okay. But I, I see, I see anti-Semitism increasing tremendously. Have you ever seen anti-Semitism like this? Because it's on a global scale now, and it's, it's very troubling to me when I witness it. What, what yes, uh, anti-Semitism, of course, is the issue of grave concern. It's uh, <clears throat> classic anti-Semitism, which goes way back and continues to our time. <clears throat> been through different stages of anti-Semitism, whether it was the 19th century, Nazi, <clears throat> Germany, and today. Unfortunately, we see a rise in the amount of anti-Semitism even in the United States. And you mentioned an example from New York City. You know, Jews were attacked on the streets of Los Angeles mm -hmm. only two, three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Jews were sitting at a restaurant. For those who do not follow the news, sitting at a sushi restaurant. And pro-Palestinian demonstrators with flags got off their car and said, who's Jewish? And three of them said, we're Jewish. And those pro-Palestinian demonstrators started to attack them. Interesting thing is that one of the three that said that they were Jewish was not Jewish. He knew what was coming. He was a Christian. And I met him, I thanked him on behalf of the State of Israel, a wonderful person, amazing person. And he didn't hesitate, put his own security at risk, and he said he's Jewish. And so we've seen anti-Semitism on the streets of Los Angeles, we've seen graffiti on synagogues, we've seen harassment. So we're deeply concerned. And one of the lessons to be learned from this is that when there are indiscriminate attacks against Jews in the land of Israel, there will be indiscriminate attacks against Jews in the United States and the global community. And that was the misunderstanding of the events when Hamas shoots rockets against the people of Israel, which is an indiscriminate attack against Jews, Israelis, even Christian and Arab communities in Israel. But they meant to attack the Jews, so it's indiscriminate attack against the Jews. Then we shouldn't be surprised. If the world goes on, accepts this, then we shouldn't be surprised that there'll be indiscriminate attacks against Jews on the streets of LA. Mm -hmm. So that's one of our lessons from yeah. it. It's, it's disturbing to me when I look at the Bible and I, and I see this happening right now. As a Christian, if you're here, you're part of 412 Church, I want to encourage you, anybody watching online, to support your local Jewish community. 
wherever people are watching throughout the world, let them know that you are there to support them. Um, and, and also, if you hear of an attack, in fact, it was a synagogue that had bricks thrown at it or something, right down, right just a block or two away from where we had dinner recently, wasn't it? Yes. It, that was attacked. So you see these things, let them know you are there to support them. And if they get swastikas, swastikas painted, take pay for the paint. You know, get out there, paint them, help them. Um, you know, do what you can. But it's letting them know uh, you're here for them. And if I can just add one sentence about this very quickly, I'll just say that you know, there's some who try to disguise their anti-Israel or their anti-Semitism by saying, "No, we're against the state of Israel. We're not against the Jews." Yeah. Well, of course. Yeah. That's a total falsification. We know when people attack Israel, they're attacking Israel because it's the one and only Jewish state. Anyone can criticize Israel for its policies. Every Israeli criticizes Israel for its policies. There's a joke in Israel that every Israeli has three opinions and he doesn't agree with any of them. <laughs> That's Israel. We criticize freely. The journalists criticize freely. Open press, open field game. So there's no problem criticizing. But when people talk about attacking Israel, demonizing Israel, BDS against Israel, that's anti-Semitism. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is anti-Zionism, anti-Semitism. It is to remove the Jews from the land. That is anti-Semitism, no matter what anybody says. Um, uh, we are almost done. Okay, Christian community in Israel, uh, the, and just around the world, your support comes, I'm guessing, primarily from e the evangelical community, but that support is also shrinking, isn't it? Well, we, of course, we follow carefully and we want as much support as we can get from any, all of those that see the light and understand the truth. You just have to open your eyes, not to be blind, not to be fed false narratives and false truths, and then you'll, you'll understand who is right, who is wrong, who is good, who is evil, right? There's some people who, who can't even, it's not clear to them whether Hamas or Israel, who's right and who's wrong. So such people are so blind and so misguided that uh, sometimes you despair. You look at such people. Um, but my message, uh, who supports Israel? There are many different communities that support Israel. Um, the main, I'm glad to say, and I'm proud to say that the mainstream of the two big parties, Democratic and Republican, support Israel. And we have friends in just about every sector of, of society, Catholic, Protestant, Evangelist, we have. I do think that the uh, numbers are greater, the greatest statistically in the evangelical community. And we appreciate it, of course, immensely. Uh, we look at the next generation and we, we do observe with concern whether the new generation is growing up on the same values and identities and traditions of their parents and their homes or not. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's too early to know the exact statistics right now, but we do follow these things, of yeah. course. I think the reason why it seems to be waning in other uh, in just areas within churches is because most churches do not teach the Bible. Or if they do, they never go to the Old Testament. And there is a movement within the United States of pastors who are saying, ignore the Old Testament. That's enormously problematic. Because how can you understand the New Testament without having an understanding of the Old Testament? And how can you understand God's covenant that he had with Abraham? If you can't trust God's covenant with Abraham, then as a Christian, what makes you think you can trust God with any covenant? What about his covenant with the Son for us? Can you trust him at all? God is not a promise breaker. God is a promise keeper. And he said he had made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's an everlasting covenant. It is a forever covenant. Um, I, I know we're almost out of time, but I, I want to just throw this out there also. Here, Dr. Newman and I, always, we also have a, another common interest, um, not just Old Testament history and theology, even if we don't agree on everything. Uh, there's a TV program we both like on Netflix. Uh, Stiesel. How many of you have seen that? A few of you have seen it. Okay. It's, it's, the, it's the, the Haredi community 
in Israel, in Jerusalem. Anyways, just love it. I don't know why I said that with everybody. But I love that program. Sean, you watch it all the time, right? And I've been through the whole series like three times. It's great. I love it. <laughs> but we have a common interest in that. I have no idea why I told you guys that. But in, I, in Isaiah, this is the way I, I see things. I, I, I know there's problems with, uh, with PA uh, prospects for peace. Do, I mean, we have Abraham Accords and we have the current things going on. What are your prospects for peace? Prospects for peace. Um, I'll just say about the Christian community, I'd like to say one sentence, and that is that there's only one country in the Middle East where the Christian community is growing and flourishing, and that's Israel. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> the only one that's allowed to. Yeah. Unfortunately, territories that were given over to the Palestinian Authority, like Beit Lechem, the holy city of Beit Lechem, the Christian community is suffering. And we share the suffering. In English, that'd be Bethlehem. So, okay. Yeah, Bethlehem. <laughs> uh, prospects for peace. Look, we're, we're optimistic. As I said, the vector is positive. We began with zero recognition of Israel from the Arab and Muslim world. And today we have seven states that do recognize Israel. We have agreements with the Palestinian Authority. They don't respect them. And they're now split between the Hamas and the Fatah, and they are all different types of denominations, and the Hamas reject all the agreements that we have given, that we have signed. So even the territories that we gave over to the Palestinian Authority are now just being used as a terrorist base to attack Israel. But still, we believe that there are prospects that one day the Palestinian people, Palestinian people will rise above their own leaders <clears throat> and will look at the benefits that they can get from Israel, from working with Israel, economic viability, livelihood for their families. So if the people of the Palestinian people will rise up and overcome their own leaders, then we will have peace. We are, we are working towards that viability of an economic viability, viable entity that is the Palestinian Authority, and that they should have good livelihood and uh, um, livelihood for their families. And we believe that that way, just like United Arab Emirates and Bahrain and other countries have come forward, maybe one day the Palestinian people will come forward, uh, go above their leaders, and make peace with Israel. Amen. Amen. One last comment I have, and, you can, and then I'm going to let you close out with anything you want to say. Um, this is from Isaiah chapter 11, would be Yeshayahu, Achalasau? Yeshayahu. 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 Yes. Am I close? Very close. Very close. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros to Kush, Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. God will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. I look at that. Yeshayel, second time he says. I believe that is a fulfillment of the Babylonian captivity, the dispersed came back. Second time, the Roman dispersion, and then the Jews have come back. I look at that that way. I'm very literal when I look at it. God says, I'll set up a banner for the people. From, for all, all the world will see it. A friend of mine pointed that out to me, banner also meaning fl a flag, it can mean that. And I, I see the Israeli flag, this is how I look at it. I see the Israeli flag, and the Jews back in the land, I look at Isaiah, I look at the other prophets, I believe that God is doing remarkable things. And um, we have differences on the Messiah, uh, obviously, but I see God just doing remarkable things. I want to be on God's side in this battle, and I want to thank you very much for coming out. You can say anything you want about what I read or anything you want to everybody. And there's people watching online. I'll let you close our time out.
Thank you. I'll just respond to that and I'll say that <clears throat> we certainly do see the prophecies coming true in our time with our eyes, right? We see the return of the exiles, the return of the people of Israel to the ancient homeland, the reestablishing of sovereignty, uh, the survival and prosperity. This can only be explained as, as uh, a miracle coming true with divine providence. We also believe that there will be a messianic era when there will be peace and tranquility and all nations will live in peace with each other. Um, when the messianic era comes, will it be the first time or the second time? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so I'm saying that you got that right. I'm saying the second time, he's saying the first time. You guys got that right? Okay, you're a we sharp no, bunch. <laughs> no problem being at the second time or the first time. It's no, we have, we, we're prepared to flow with that. Whether, <laughs> I think Dennis Prager said something like that too. Right. Whether uh, this is for all times now and we can be sure, I just go back to what I said before, that we, you know, the interpretation of verses is open for interpretation. So someone can say, ah, the exile, the return of the people of Israel now to the land of Israel is the final eternal coming and returning to the land of Israel and the, for all times. As an Orthodox Jew, I can just say that we're, we're skeptical. We say, who knows? Uh, maybe we don't have enough credit yet for, for it to be eternal. Maybe the second that is mentioned there is, is another existence in, a, in the future. Maybe it's now. I don't know. It's open for interpretation. But those who have their eyes open do, do see this process of the return of the people of Israel to the land of Israel and the prosperity as living proof of the coming, the coming of the Messianic era. I'll just end with a last message to everybody, and I'll say that our prayers are with you, and I bring you the greetings of the Holy Land of, of Israel, which I'm proud to represent. And I ask you to pray also for the good and safety and security of Israel and Jerusalem. And please pray also that our enemies lay down their arms and accept Israel, because then there will be peace. And I pray for all of you that you have health and prosperity in your homes, your community, and your environment. Thank you. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.